Good afternoon, and welcome to another episode, finally. Our annual episode. Our annual episode. <laughs> but we are in season three right now, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, no, I think season three was last year. I think we only did one episode, maybe two. For some reason, I thought we were season three. So where are we, season four? We're establishing we're not good at podcasts. We're, ter- we're terrible at it. Yeah, we've already established that. And we welcome any of the five people who are listening. We know Mike Thurston is a, is a listener for sure. Yeah. Um, if anybody has an idea as how we can be a little bit more consistent, we welcome it. But this is kind of what it is. Yeah. Is it? No, I like drinking it right from the cup. Corey made some wonderful homemade soup, given that it's uh, mid-January. Although it, f- it feels much like November, sun's out... Kind of that like 48 degree mark. Maybe we should go fish some ponds later today or tomorrow. Actually, it would be a good I think idea. it's close to 35, but. You think? Maybe <laughs> it's just because the sun's I out. I think it's because the sun's out. Yeah. What we should be doing is scalloping, but we took the day off of scalloping today because the boat was broken, but it's fixed now. But yeah. we'll get to scallop. Kim, are you going to scalp this week with us? Wednesday, uh, tomorrow. Thursday. Yep. 100% tomorrow, and then I'm going off to a hockey tournament. So On Thursday, what time do you guys leave for that? Uh, midday. We are going to crush every other squirt. B team in this tournament. It's going to be incredible. Tournament? Marlboro, Massachusetts, highlighted by the Apex Center, which is right there. Yeah. A little hibachi night one night, maybe some bowling. By the way, Marlboro might be the tournament capital, the hockey tournament capital of the United yes. States. There's a, there's a bunch of ranks right there, right? There's a complex that has, I'm making this up, I call it 16 ranks. It's unbelievable. And actually, there's some like, Triple-A tournament going on in there at the same time. So we'll watch some good hockey. Yeah. Maybe, like, to bring this back to fishing, there's a fly fishing show that's happening right there. I looked up a bunch of the people. I, I, I'm i not really a fly geek, so I knew two. <laughs> but it's actually, <laughs> but it's, actually a, it's a really well-known show. It's a it very, is a well-known show, and, it's and a there's a lot well to be done. learned. What is it called? I think it's the New England Fly Fishing Show. But, I mean, there might be, I'm sure there's a, maybe a fancy name. But it's, it bounces around locations a little bit. But it's, um, everyone who's ever gone has said it's great. Gets yep. to cast a lot of new products that are coming gotcha. out. Like I was just talking about that Sage R8 Salt. And it kind of was launched on purpose right around now. You know, because gotcha. that's one big. So I'll go cast that on uh, Friday or Saturday. You should, because that's a, that's a, because um, that rod, that new rod is built. It's the one you're going to be using. Yeah, so if I'm going to use it, I might as well. Let's be honest. I'll probably order it either way because I am not a huge gearhead. If someone says, get that rod, I usually say, cool, I'm in. But it's um, but it was built from the Northeast, you know. It's uh, well, actually a lot of the flat stuff too, you know, but they're really excited about what the Northeast. What is it? So wait a minute. So it's, a, it's, it's the Sage. So they came out with the R8, um, I think, last spring. And the R8 was mostly focused on fresh water. Um, and kind of maxed out like seven, might have had an eight. A lot of guys used it for the uh, salt and liked it, but it was not built for the power needed in mm-hmm. the salt. And so what they did is they beefed up the rod. It's got nothing to do with sort of the salt corroding it. It's got everything to do with the power, yep. you know, just the power needed in a rod. But um, And it's known, it, what they're telling, everything is about it is it's a powerful rod for fighting fish, but it does have the touch for placement you know especially around flats you know um so it's it's interesting a lot of the people in the industry um are excited about it and the way i found out about it, obviously they've been promoting it but a guy who is a pretty regular listener of this um chris romanowski i just love the guy to death he fishes with us and obviously chris bell knows him well um if I, I don't think that's his last name 
Chris Roman, <laughs> you know, um, one of the harder to pronounce last names yeah. actually, but he's, uh, he's just, he's the guy I go to whenever he's a Montana, former Montana guide. And he's the guy I go to whenever I need gear suggestions. And he's just, first off, I love talking with him. He's just, I don't know. He's one of my favorite people to fish with without a question, but like in terms of gear, He's a gearhead, which we aren't. No way but will I ever establish myself. You're a bit of a gearhead. Try to be. Yeah. But like, you know your stuff, like with the car, with on your boat. Like, you're really good. Corey yeah. and I don't even pretend to be. We know what we like and we know what we don't. Yeah. But we don't, like, dig in to figure out that next level. And, and that's one of the things I actually really like about Chris is, like, he gets that not everybody is a gearhead like him, and so he's willing to do the digging because he enjoys it and then pass on the information. And then I asked him a bunch of questions that were good, and he was able to get back to me in what we'll call layman's terms. Yes. So uh, So the reason why you reached out to him is... Well, we are going... I went to... Uh, boom! I went to the Seychelles last year, specifically Cosmolito, and had such an incredible experience... Not great fishing, such an incredible experience that I needed to go back. And who else would I go back with? But Corinne, Corinne of Arabia is uh, joining me on a trip halfway around the world, and I think it's literally halfway around the world. If we did the dig through, we'd be pretty close to. So that. it's basically flying to Dubai. It's sort of the long trip, and then from there it's a bunch of hopper planes to, to get down. To Mahe, then to Alphonse, then to Astov, and then into Cosmolito. So it's like a day of flying, right? It's like a, it's two days before you actually get there, but at least you're in Mahe for about 20 hours. Um, um, but, yeah. but yeah, so Cameron had, I asked him how was it when he got back. The first thing I asked him, obviously, was how was it? And he said the fishing wasn't, quote, unquote, as advertised but he would go back in a new york minute if he got the opportunity which says a lot about a place right it's less well, of the fishing but the the experience as cameron said was phenomenal so well to me experience is in the people mm -hmm. uh experience can also be in the place in this point it was uh in the people and the place uh guide wise I'm, i still have friendships that i was texting with two of the guides this morning so we have sincere friendships that we keep up uh, and the people I went on the trip with are now lifelong friends going back with three of them now, including Corey as well. So just to have the people experience and then you go to about the most remote spot in the world where literally there is not a soul on this atoll for six months a year. And then six months it gets populated to the extent that there'll be... I think like 21 of us, so six guides, uh, 11 anglers. And how big is the atoll? Just uh, The whole atoll around is about the size of Nantucket. An so atoll means island. Atoll is kind of an island. It's like a ring <clears throat> with a giant flat in the middle, and okay. it just sticks up out of the ocean. It's like the top of a volcano. Gotcha. So, so like you have rocky crevices, a little bit of beach coming up, and then inside is a huge giant lagoon. And then outside, uh, it drops off from like 30 feet to 3,000 feet in a matter of a couple hundred yards. So on that rim on the outside, you get tuna, blue marlin, wahoo all swimming around. And then the inside, you get the magic. And so in the inside, that's not, 
I'm making statements. I, you'll obviously correct me if I'm saying something incorrect. The whole idea is when the water's flooding in, uh, you know, baits flooding in, uh, and all of a sudden the bigger fish, GT being the, the biggest target that everybody wants. Giant yes. trevally. Giant trevally are, 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 are jeets, I guess. Jeets. Jeets, jeets mate. <laughs> yep, are flooding in. So it's sort of like that's the design, especially on, on an incoming tide. It's just sort of like coming into this big bathtub and it's the reason I asked for the size of it is we're not talking about just a small little area so it's something the size of Nantucket is being targeted by a dozen anglers for half a year you know these fish don't know what a fly looks like oh know? no they just you strip it and they it's <laughs> and that's pretty freaking awesome that's kind of what I'm getting at is we're not going at something that's just sort of like oh well they, those fish don't see many flies because they spend 11 months a year out in the canyons and then they come in and they have... There aren't days like where they're just not eating. They just, they just eat. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, so I had a tough fishery uh, because we had a red crab situation that was outside. So all those fish went and just chewed on red crab. Mm-hmm. And there just weren't many fish inside. We still caught, still probably caught four or five jeets in the week. It just was a different experience than what's normal. Yeah. So that's why I'm so excited to get back is to experience the fishing at its highest level, because I've experienced the place and the people at its highest level. You go at the same time. No, so I'm going in the spring, which actually now you do more and more homework because you learn everything every, every more stuff every day or every week. Um, it's the spring is actually a more solid and predictable time for cheats. Gotcha. The fall you can sometimes get bigger ones that come push through, okay. but but the way all the tides work and and the ecosystem in the area, the spring is. Uh, more predictable. Are you bringing my backpack again? Yes. Thank you. Have I asked you yet? <laughs> Not yet. Hey, Chris, I can, I bar- can I borrow your I backpack? I know. I bought a new one, actually. I'm giving it to Corey. <laughs> yeah. But I want to bring yours back. I feel like we have a little love. Um, so, the, yeah. So, it's... Um, I it, Just to bring up the crab. You said red crab, Cam? Red crab. It's, Which is... It, I don't want to bring up too much because I want to throw the juju away and bring the jeep juju in. I hear you, but I bring it up just to bring it back to a constant conversation we have around our Nantucket fishery is the easiest way to catch fish is to find the bait. And if you find the bait, you find the fish. And that's that's fishing. That's it. And so Cameron travels halfway around the world, has everything's incredible about it. But these fish found bait that wasn't where he was. And that's okay. Like that's that's how it is. It's, so I thought you were going to a different spot with it is Fishing isn't always as uh, you might expect it in the morning. Yeah. So find the good of it yeah, and be excited that you're at least on the water but, with the people in the place. But it is. It's about finding the bait. And um, it's actually, I just geeked out last night, watched a bunch of videos, Cameron, on Dubai and the queen fish. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Really cool. And um, it's they're like little baby tarpon. So that's what they say. I, I looked at it and I thought it looked like a jack and a bluefish mating, you know? And if you go... I know, but they, they like, they're, yeah. I hear you. Cameron's right. Everyone says it's a mix between a tarpon and a jack. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you watch some videos on it, it's, they're cool fish. And they, but them chasing after the fly is exactly like a bluefish looks. And then they've got that big bluefish eye on them. I mean, they're just cool looking fish and aggressive. But, you Old know... yellow eye. Yeah, but they say, you know, one of the best reasons Dubai has become so good for queenfish is because of all the structure there, um, and they've done a good job of maintaining the, the water quality there, and so the bait's coming in more and more and more with the building of the city, yeah. and it follows in by the bigger fish, you know, so it's actually in the, it's been a success, so. Do you have to bring your own flies there, or how does that work? 
Uh, so let's bring it back to that gearhead conversation. In answer to your question, no, they have plenty of flies there. The guides have some. They sell them to you there that the guides tie or others tie. So you can go there kind of clueless. But they kind of, most people who would spend the time and money to go to a spot like this are more in that gearhead side. Yeah. And they love tying and like having fish hit on their own flies. Mm-hmm. Which I think would be cool too. And I'm actually curious to bring some of the flies we might use from here. Yeah. So I would say most people bring their own flies and then use that to add on. And actually what I, a better question is once you have 30 of your own flies and eight of theirs, whose are you actually using? Because <laughs> you're there for a week to catch their fish on... Yeah. Would you use their flies or the ones? I don't know. I know maybe. my answer. <laughs> after maybe the, use the after one that thirtieth fish, maybe you switch to yours. Will, yeah, I will say though, from a guide's perspective, and and I've got a I've got a very 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 healthy fly box. One of my favorite things is when again back to Chris, he comes with every fly known to man, and it's so much fun to open up somebody else's fly box where they've tied them themselves or they've procured them themselves, cool. and to, to to say, oh, this could work. Mm-hmm. So Chris actually had last year this squid pattern that had a. Um, it had a little hinge in it, and it was about six, eight inches long. He's like, this is a $20 fly. I'm like, at first, that sounds expensive, <laughs> but the reality is a lot of the lures retail were throwing out there mm-hmm. 20 bucks. And because of the length of it and the hinge in it, you know, we got bluefish whacking in it that the bluefish didn't break it off. Yeah. You're not getting chewed. I'm like, this thing is actually worth, and it caught a ton of fish. So it's fun. It's fun when, I'm sure the guides enjoy people bringing their own flies, but they know what works too and it's needed. They also love when you bring them cigarettes and rum. Do they? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're stuck on an atoll. Great. The closest inhabitants are Madagascar, which is 400 miles. Mahi's 800. Well, I figured the rum, but I've never bought a carton of cigarettes before. (laughs) I I bought bought a carton of candy. That was appreciated. We're bringing some reels this year. Um... So the other thing to bring up is, just stay on the Seychelles for a second, is, um, so Cameron was talking about how there's this uh, this atoll where it's the inside is kind of where the jeets come crashing in, come in, you get uh, bonefish, you get, what else, triggerfish. Triggerfish, milkfish. Triggerfish are incredible, actually. Yeah. So anyway, it's, it's awesome. But what, I think one of the things that Cameron loved so much um, is on the outside, it's this deep fall off. I mean, it's, I don't know if it's a canyon or what you would call it, but... Pretty cool fishery, right? Yeah, so everyone comes for... It's the it's the uh, giant trevally capital of the world, I guess. I don't know. It's like Island Rod. But I, I think it is the most productive GT fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what brings you to that specific one. But yeah, if you're looking to branch out, as soon as you go over the hump on the outside, like Jamie Vaughn caught a four-foot wahoo last year on the fly like have you ever heard of someone calling a wahoo on the fly yeah. yeah that that's crazy yellowfin marlin i had a marlin come up and miss i was like oh a, a yellowtail was like incredible for me I'd like uh but are you seeing them on the surface and targeting them or what's the what's the both, method like the marlin was on the surface like being very playful oh that's fine uh yellowfin uh we ended up so we didn't catch the marlin yellowfin. We did catch, but we teased it in. Yeah. So a lot of what we do in the South Shore where you're casting, mm-hmm. basically cast a bluefish plug, no lure, and crank it as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. And when Jamie I'm and really I... I'm really good at that, When Jamie and I saw that that was their technique, we quickly grabbed the rod from the guy. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? Because no one ever does this. So like, we're going to do this. And actually, their technique wasn't that good. Like, they would reel it in and, like, leave it. 
And so the fish would keep hitting it. Gotcha. So we taught them to bring it in and pull it back over our shoulder. And that's where all the fish went nuts. And yeah, so they, they definitely refined their <laughs> <laughs> offshore casting techniques. So if, that, if we brought one thing to change in Cosmolito, that yeah. was it. No new flies, no new cheap technique. It was the offshore casting, just like we do for bluefish. Thank God for bluefish, you know. <laughs> you know, catch all sorts of grouper and snapper. And it's just a potpourri out there. It's a ball. There's no question I'm going to spend time on the outside, even though... I don't want to say it's looked down upon, but people don't go there for it. Yeah, the guides probably yeah. don't get excited about it. No, they get really excited about it, actually. It's just the opposite. They just like fishing. Yeah, They're normal fun. human beings that just want to catch fish and have fun and laugh. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing better than a person who can tell a good story. Yeah, doing the same thing every day gets boring. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and I'm joining along this year, and I'm, I could not be more excited and... My wife, when I asked her, it was a, it was an yes within a moment, which I appreciated. And so, know. Chris, that means this is the spring. You'll be back on the boats. So you're not coming, but I we did ask CB. Um, but if we're gonna plan, not to say the perfect trip for next year, where would you want to go? It doesn't matter. You don't care. <laughs> no. <laughs> but we were talking on the boat last yeah. two weeks ago. I think we got a plan in place. Like in Mexico or somewhere that. Yeah, like, I just saw, um, you can't really trust Instagram, but let's pretend it's all real and awesome. Uh, yeah, on the west coast of Baja, striped marlin on a fly. Yeah. And, and I'm not a huge fly guy. Like, we talked about all this. Like, to me, it's 15% of my fishing on the Nantucket at most. Yeah. But that whole fishery. But there's, cool. there's a whole, like, you know, we talk a lot because January, February is the right time for us, personally mm -hmm. speaking, to go travel fishing. And we've done the Bahamas a bunch and we love it. But again, you usually get blown out one day, you know, whatever. Uh, we've done the Keys. It's great, but you can have blow days. It's just not, it's not in, in the North America. It's not a spot, not a time of year you go fishing. Mm -hmm. um, and more and more Nantucket type people, Miles Reese being one that comes to the top of mind. Donnie and Gloria are spending a bunch of time on the west coast of Central America. Uh, Costa Rica is being a big one, you know. Matt Ryan and Moe's moved down there. Yeah, it's just fun. Nantucket's kind of moving to the West Coast, and it's just because the January, February, March fishery down there is excellent. You do run into wind, yeah. uh, but outside of wind, you do run into production, um, and so it's something that's sort of like if if, if we want to go, just get a bunch. of people together rather than keep trying to force the Bahamas, which I love and I'm still going to go to this year with my family. Um, let's put a bunch of people together, go on a big boat and go West Coast. And we don't do a lot of big boat fishing. You guys are doing more and more of it with your Offshore Wednesday concept. <laughs> but we let's do it. So I think that's what the conversation is, is, is at least the four of us, Chris, Cam, myself, and Matt. And then we'll see if we can get some others too. Yeah. Go down and whether we're... Baja for stripes, or go keep going further south. You know, rooster fish, or something like that. Rooster fish. Oof. So rooster Freshwater fish. Dorado is something I want to do. That's not in the ocean. That's somewhere different. Rooster fish would be my number one in that. But um, did you uh, fish on the boat at all this fall? Uh, we caught a barracuda when we back from the Bahamas. <laughs> That's fun. Because we were uh, doing storm avoidance, so that was like the only time we were going slow. Yeah. We're just doing circles in between the Bahama, like Bahama Bank, and like there's another kind of real flat area. Yeah. So we're just going north south, and we ended up catching a 
I don't know how long it was on the line for because I kind of forgot that was the line was back there. Blood <laughs> lining. The, the Honduran Boson definitely really liked it. So. So you did. You guys did eat it. Yeah. Did you try it? No. Why? Uh, you just don't know enough about the. Cause there's a lot of. Yeah. I think the mercury and the barracuda. All right. So the merc the the barracuda. It's a, it's a fish you definitely have to be careful of eating, for sure. And not just, like, build up of, which is one of the things that's, you know, so I don't know what it is, but there is a, there's a lot of people who don't eat it. Yeah. But, like, you didn't watch a hunter and eat it and, like, not die. To, I'm going to try this thing. <laughs> no. Because uh, you're only supposed to, like, coming off of a reef or something like you don't eat the ones that are eating on the reef or I don't remember what it is but yeah. you have to be very very specific about it and there's some I would have eaten it I <laughs> might be dead right now if I were Chris Bell no I yeah I wouldn't I've and not it. because I eat everything it's just I want to try something new and I what is your it. favorite fish to eat uh great question I've only had wahoo like twice fresh and that was that was pretty freaking good yeah that was really good I would say Wahoo is my favorite. Is it? Yeah. We haven't talked about that. Let's have a Wahoo dinner next summer. <laughs> we yeah, gonna catch some. <laughs> go oh, we have like a targeted focus. There's like a yeah, but there's a bunch of Wahoo that are. I mean, that's that's a very, you know, and that's down at the lanes, right? You're not yeah. having to really push a whole heck of a lot further, you know. Um, that'd be good. I don't know what my I, I, my favorite is. I like shellfish and I like crabs. You know, I know those aren't. Thin fish, you know. So can can't, can't compare with you. So no, no. Maybe I'm doing that just to be a little bit of a <laughs> jerk. Jerk. Yeah, but that's that's definitely my favorite in terms of some wahoo a couple times in the keys. Yeah. It was actually so their smoked fish fish dip was wahoo. Oh really? <laughs> like we normally use bluefish for this, but <laughs> it, it was really good. I mean, sounds awesome. And so you were just down there for a week. Yes. Kind of like just getting back. Yep. Hey, Sarah, let's go away. Like, you deserve a vacation. Yeah, so she was on break for uh, school. So we're just like, all right, we're going to go in between this time period, and I should be back around this time. And let's just go safe. away. Yeah. And you didn't do any fishing down there? Nope. Did you go to, like, Robbie's and yeah. feed tarpon? Yep. Which the pelicans have gotten really bad. <laughs> that place is so cool. But I actually went with my daughters a few years ago. Yeah. It's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you say that? The pelicans. The pelicans <laughs> have zero fear of human beings. Yeah. And I can't imagine this is the only tarpon feeding spot in the Keys or anywhere. But like these, you're giving away fish to. It, they make a great business out of selling a cup of bait for five, eight bucks, whatever yeah. it is. It was five bucks for a bucket of probably seven. I don't know what the bait is. And then two fifty to go watch. So basically, two people, one bucket was ten bucks. Good business. I like yeah. that one. Yeah, it's great. You kill twenty minutes. It's all cool, but it's a revolving door from like yeah. eight a.m. through sunset. You have no less than four, five, fifteen people on the dock anytime. You know what's amazing to me that so it's like how do pelicans not like make yeah. it their home? And so is it the pelicans? I don't remember this. Is the pelicans competing with the tarpon for? Or they come try and get it out uh, of your of, hands. Yeah, like when he gives you the bucket, he's like, all right, one of you is going to feed the fish, and then the other one's going to fend off the pelicans. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, watch out for pelicans, watch out for pelicans, watch out for pelicans. And they are wild animals. <laughs> yeah. You know what surprises me is that the, 
I don't know what it is down there. We have the environmental police here. You have um, fish and wildlife in other places, mm -hmm. like whatever it is in Florida. I'm a little surprised they let that happen. You know, it's just not only like human interference with, with nature, but it's also like the, you know, one, bat, one pelican going after a, a, a four-year-old kid could be real bad press for... You so know. it was like they were, I said it the other day, they were aggressive but not vicious. So they well, were like, one. <laughs> they were like pecking at you, yeah. but they would get real close to you. And then, so they built up the A-frames yeah. around the pens now, and there's certain holes in the nets, yeah. but the pelicans are standing right on top of the A-frames. Yeah. And they're like, they see you put your hand in the bucket, and then like in between the bucket and the screen, they're like trying to get at you. I was trying to think of solutions for them, like the whirly gigs that we have out here. Like that yeah. probably would have worked. Um, I feel like a sniper on top of Robbie's <laughs> with like an airsoft gun, just yeah. constantly. I don't think even airsoft. Picking, I think just those salt guns. Those just are pretty cool. Constantly picking yeah. off, and I bet you could sell that. Like, okay, you want to <laughs> feed the tarpon for seven fifty, or be on the sniper track up there. <laughs> And I'll give you 40 bucks for that. And yeah. you get a whole different clientele. So right, that's a good question. Is it better to be, what is it, airsoft, salt, or paintball? What's the what's the best one? I don't know. Probably paintball. I'd say paintball. Or do you just have, remember uh, Chris Benelli had his hawk oh. crew hired him to hang out and yeah. like scare away the seagulls? I didn't, I never heard that story. That's yeah. a cool story. Well, that's, so, yeah. He was, they just feed him dinner and he'd hang out like on the roof by probably a, by chip or something like that. Yeah. Does Chris have a, have a hawk? Yeah. He oh yeah. It's a, a falconer? Hawk. Yeah. Or it's probably a falcon. I mean, it's a falcon probably. Or is no, it's it, a hawk. Is it? Yeah. That's a cool business. I, I, but you say by chip. Like he's probably at the cliffside, and then just has the hawk go fly around and just scare away the seagulls. Oh, I would have thought he'd be more like local, local to, to crew. Sorry, not crew. Galley. Oh, then that makes perfect sense. They're both the same. They, they really are. <laughs> but now I understand your confusion. So both establishments we don't visit. Yes. So they're very nice. I'm sure the food is wonderful to spend that amount of money on an entree. And then... But so I, I was... Not that I'm trying to force this towards scalloping, but to talk about scalloping for a second. Yeah. Um, and I won't... Like, talking to a bunch of different scalpers that the market's kind of falling apart a little bit to buy them. And I was talking to this one guy, he's a great guy, and uh, Brian. And uh, Brian asked him, I was like, you're, you're really good friends with Gene from Crew. Like, do you sell them a bunch of scallops? He's like, he's like, I tried to one year, and, you know, it, uh, like, it, it doesn't work. Like, they, they, they won't buy it. They can't sell. Like, and I'm like, what do you mean? I go, they their freezer space is so small because anything that comes in the door goes out the door within a day. He's like, what's the point of them freezing food? It's the same thing. Like crew is so busy that there's no point in them freezing food. Yeah. They can go get fresh sea scallops or they can get whatever it is and make it sound awesome and they'll make it taste awesome don't get me wrong i'm not trying to say it's bad food it's great food but like that is a restaurant that doesn't ever need to freeze anything 
right? Because they're going to sell it. You know, and it's the same with like. Uh, but I'd also make the argument that it's also like different than Straight Wharf, where Straight Wharf has like generational clients who know and understand like the Nantucket heritage, and yeah. like a, a Bay Scallop will mean a lot more to a Straight Wharf client than it will a crew client. Mm -hmm. A crew client is someone who hasn't spent as much time on Nantucket and is a little bit of the sea and be seen and like beautiful atmosphere, beautiful, but. I think the Bay Scallop is someone who's been here for years and gets it and it's embedded in them. And that's just not the crew client. No, it's not. But it's also the other piece of that puzzle is that, you know, the question, like the reason you offer something like Nantucket Bay Scallops is if you can make a lot of money on the margins, you know, if you yeah. can make more money on the food. But the second is if it gets people in your seats. Mm -hmm. None of these restaurants have to worry about filling seats. They're yeah. all that's at capacity. True. And so it's like you go to Nautilus and, you know, I just was looking at the menu the other night, and um, like, I asked my question, why don't they have scallops on there? And the answer is very simple. They don't need to, yeah. because they have the same thing 12 months a year, and it just sells. So the reason we're having this conversation is, two weeks ago, the price not necessarily bottomed out, but... It went from 20, basically 20 bucks down to 13 within two weeks. And... On the, whole, on the wholesale side. On the, the, yes, on the wholesale side. And rumor had it that not many people are going to buy. So then you go back, was it 20 years ago, and there are 100 boats out there. Like, how did they get their product out? So we just kind of have to do our research now and kind of have to do a little bit of hard work, which is, ne is necessary. I'm not saying that all the other guys, they never did their hard work, but... So it's... It's interesting. So I've learned a lot about it, and we can go down this path or not. But let's I'll, go. It's so that um, so if you go back, you know, twenty years, and you had a hundred boats all getting their limit every day, they'd go out and Nantucket Bay scallops were sought after, not just by Nantucket restaurants, but by the New York market and also by the Boston markets. And basically, the, the the buyers on Nantucket would buy them up, ship them to the New York market, you know, in truckloads. The New York market would then take them and then ship them out to restaurants through New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, even probably Midwest. They would then send them to retail markets as well, you know. And so the same thing with Boston. And Boston would supply New England. Mm -hmm. And so that's just what would happen. As the Bay Scallop, as we've talked about, and anybody who's listening to this knows Nantucket Bay Scallops, last year was a bad year for harvesting, largely harbor quality, a lot of different reasons. But over the last 10 to 15 years, uh, less fishermen are doing it because there's more money in the trades. The scallop harvest hasn't been as strong. As the, as the scallop yield's going down, the markets can't rely on getting scallops in and selling them. Mm -hmm. So the New York market in particular... Finally, at some point, and I don't know when, in the last 10 to 15 years, said, There's this, this is a product we can't count on getting in, yeah. and our buyers want something consistent. And so they were able to basically say, okay, sell sea scallops you can get 12 months a year. We can make this consistent. So basically, you know, the market in New York, which would buy up 75% of Nantucket-based scallops, stopped buying Nantucket-based scallops and started buying sea scallops and trained all their restaurants and all their retail markets that this is what you should be selling. So now the consumer is trained by the restaurant and is trained by the uh, markets by sea scallops. And sea scallops operations have grown tremendously. They've become a lot more efficient. And frankly, the cost of sea scallops is less and you can get them for 12 months. So it makes sense. So the demand pull for base scallops has fallen off dramatically as the supply has gone down. Well, welcome to economics, right? And so what's happened this year 
is that it's been a very good year for Nantucket, um, but it also coincidentally has been a good year for Cape Cod scallops. It's been a good year for the vineyard scallops, and it's been a good year for actually Long Island Sound scallops. So not only is it just Nantucket Bays that are filling in the market, it's well, Mattaquet, Nantucket Bays, uh, Vineyard, Cape Cod, and so you're, they're they're getting. I'm making up a number five, six x, if not more, of what they got last mm -hmm. year. Yet they've trained a market to only consume sea scallops. To, well, sea scallops in New York, but the Boston company that's buying them has trained them to only buy. I'm making this up. Thirty thousand pounds a year, and now there's a hundred and fifty, and there's just no room for them to be bought. And so the question mark is, how do we do this? Like, like is next year? going to be the same as this and actually seed wise it looks like it could be awesome for Nantucket again next year mm -hmm. so if that's the case how do we build more markets for Nantucket based scallops and that's what our conversation is and that we're having and a lot of people are having is how do we build up the Nantucket based scallop back as something that people should be telling their markets they want mm -hmm. and telling the restaurants this is what I want on the menu you know but the restaurants aren't going to want it on the menu if they just as we explained with Nautilus and crew, if they can sell out of this stuff and make yeah. good money. It's an interesting problem. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things we have to rely on is the local Nantucket, not local Nantucket, but the seasonal Nantucket people reaching out to their local seafood market and saying, we want this. And I think hopefully we'll do a campaign this summer to kind of push that. Yeah. And I think, too, you can have like an honest conversation with maybe not like the crew, but like the Nautilus and stuff like that. Like you will help out Nantucket people by putting Nantucket base scallops on the menu. It's an awesome point, is, is don't make this about yourself. You'll make just as much money, a touch more work, and help that many more people. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good way. The other piece of the puzzle is a lot of um, restaurants were buying November, December, just because mm -hmm. everybody wants to go on vacation January, February, just, uh, March. So they are buying and freezing for next year. So the ones that do buy and hold them. And the markets that do buy and hold them for next summer are mm -hmm. buying November and December. The, the the Thanksgiving person is buying them. The person who wants to send gifts around Christmas is buying them. The Christmas dinner person, everyone wants to buy them. So the price gets up during those two months and then no one wants them January, mm -hmm. February. How do we convince those who are going to freeze them yeah. for next summer to wait until January and February to freeze them? So that but that's not always the case. Like typically, you have a greater quantity of scallops early in the season. And I would suspect, like last year, the price held uh, all the way through because the, the... The price raised all the way through last year. Yeah, yeah so yeah. now we have an inverse effect. So you can't count on that year to year. Like when you what buy... Do, what do you mean you can't? Because this year, the price is going down Yeah, by February, March. Last year, the price went up by February, yeah. March. So you just I, sell them... Just take a look at the fishery and in November you can have a pretty good idea. And you kind it's of, just like we can't train them to wait. you got to yeah. be like, okay, buy when it makes Not necessarily, but you can also, and I'm not even talking price-wise, but Chris made the good point is to appeal to the um, the, the giving nature of, of people. Like, So if you can train anybody who's going to buy them and freeze them to assuming there's going to be stock, and there there should be stock. You know, yeah. and if not, there's, if you don't predict there's going to be stock, hold off. But it's it's rather, and again, everybody deserves vacation if they can afford it. I'm not telling everybody too, but if we can get people to be a little more thoughtful, we can sustain a fishery for a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. You know, so interesting.
is it looking into like the wholesalers and stuff like that off island like I know a lot of guys already are yeah but is it trying to branch out I don't know it's just trying to get creative. Are there other wholesalers outside? It's, it's how can you continue to build? You know, like I went into, uh, I was up in Vermont skiing this weekend and I went into um, a seafood market and asked them if they would buy. And they said, unfortunately, they don't, they don't like to have four or five vendors. They would like to buy from one vendor. And that's just sort of the nature of business mm-hmm. is a lot of people. So, uh, you know, there's some people on this island, some, some of these markets on Nantucket who are really good and clever and creative and can branch and, and fire into these mm-hmm. small retail spots. But, you know, that's going to be more of that than we need it. Yeah. So, anyway, fun conversations, you know, from a learning perspective. You know, we learned a lot more about the other side of the scalp fishery this yeah. year where the last couple of years have been focused on just catching them. And catching them this year has been awesome, but now learning about the, the next level of, of business associated with it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. How much uh, did you follow the Bruins on the boat? Uh, not much. Like, because I go to bed. I try to go to bed at like 2, 3 o'clock. Yeah. But I've been... In the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I've been checking them out more now that I'm home and I have a decent sleep schedule the game yesterday was yesterday so it wasn't actually it was fun as a fan but yeah it was so so just is it Fligno is that how you pronounce his name yeah Fligno Fligno so he had that fight with Simmons two nights ago yeah and that was you know obviously the internet loved it you know and that's it's you know it's fun that Boston's can score goals it's their their goaltending is phenomenal but they're also a tough team you know they're, they're awesome they're just they're they're everything and then what was the I don't know if you could talk about but what was the what was that uh, so Felino so referees this is like a little clip that went around did you see this yeah. Chris? Uh, basically the ref goes to center ice and announces penalty two minutes number 19 Boston Bruins war chipping and it's like, as a player skates to the box, it's all made for TV, so that the crowd knows what he's going to the penalty box for, you name it, kind of following the NFL. Uh, Felino not really fully understanding why, or that the mic was on, was talking to the other official, and says, would you round me fucking beat his face in? <laughs> Sounds like that's what you wanted. <laughs> and so he was just having an honest conversation with the ref, because I don't know what that was behind the scenes, but the entire rink heard it. National broadcast. I don't know if they heard it or if that was nixed, and now we get it in a later feed. No, but it was. You could hear it live. Were you watching the game live? I couldn't pick the words out, but if I had rewound it and but or if I was paying closer attention, I would. But have was it off a fight? Did it cut? Did they just? Because so, he got five minutes for roughing, right? No, it was only the guy. He got cross checking. And then the other one, I forget who it was with, but he that kid took his gloves off, so he got roughing. Oh. And Felino never took his gloves off because he didn't want to get a penalty, but then they ended up calling him for cross-checking or something like that. So that's, I believe, what it Yeah, kind of so they did from. matching. So they both went, and that's where Felino's like, wait, you would have rather me kick the crap out of the dude? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but did they both go 5-5 five and five or 5-2? Five and two? It was like 2-2. Two 2-2. And two. Two and two. Dude, but they were like they were. The point is, they were sending both people away anyway. Yeah. So if he had dropped his gloves and gone for it, it still would have been two and two, or would have been five and five. I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's, he's sort of saying, "Give the guy five. Give me none. Our team benefits." Yeah. Yeah. He was trying to like 
I, kinda, I like that. That's I see. I didn't understand the color on the whole thing. He would have fought, and he probably would have beat him up, but he didn't. He held off because he didn't want a penalty. And he's yeah, trying to get the yeah. yeah. So I'm a huge hockey fan. In my life, in terms of hobbies, it goes fishing, then hockey. Uh, hockey had a skiing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very close for me. But I just, I, I play hockey once a week, I coach it, I watch it, so it's like, if you gave me a day right now, I'd jump go skiing in a day in a second. But, okay, it's still the same thing. I get it, I get it, that's good. Question for you, knowing that you reckon that you love hockey, Corey, you too, but um, sometimes we take fishing for granted. Mm-hmm. I will give you the benefit of a 10-year NHL career. You'll get the money that comes from it, which is good money, not like yeah, you're a crazy. Third line yeah, yeah, you're like a third line. You're making two to four million a year, which is crazy for us, but like not like hundreds of millions. You'll probably retire with like fifteen million. Like yeah, by the time you pay, like you know, I'm just trying to put it in perspective. Get it, get it. But you can never fish a day in your life. Period. Done. You couldn't fish beforehand because you're a kid growing up playing hockey. As a result, that like fishing is zero part of your life. Would you take that? Probably not. Oh, super interesting question. <laughs> I mean, you get the money, you get the memories, you get the friends. Like, to be have been an NHL player is a, like, you reach the highest level. Yeah. Yeah, but I think, so, I, I'm, I'm going to stick with the fishing, and it's, everyone could have guessed that, just the conservative nature, A, of me, and B, how much I love fishing, but it's like... And I'm thinking, like, I wouldn't, we wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast. We wouldn't have the same friends, probably, that we have. And your whole life would be hockey, 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 which is not a bad thing. My whole life is fishing, 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 fishing. Um, and then the hockey does stop. Now you probably morph into a coach or ambassador, but like, I got to imagine that low coming off of a, a career has got to be really hard to come yeah. away from. Where we're going to be doing something, we're, we're all going to be fishing for the next, you know. I mean, I can't wait to f- know which young kid's going to be taking me out fishing when I'm 85 <laughs> years old and can't walk, you know? I think we still have great memories from hockey. We still can get out and play hockey. So I, just, I do think being in an NHL locker room for a season and being part of the... like, And it's not even the, playing the game. It's, the, it's everything around the game would so be an amazing... Like one year of hockey for five years of fishing and maybe a would take in hockey but yeah I, I, I might do that one I'd probably do that one yeah just cause you I could I might do that one cause five years I could dedicate time to other hobbies and whatnot. Yeah. And, and you get just experience and, but I do I love the fishing community I love the people I love and you get that in hockey I just I but it kinda I don't wanna get into it we're probably nearing the end here like a big philosophical question but it's it's like you get all these kids that are um, you know so focused on a singular sport and then lose the big picture of mm-hmm. whether it's skiing in the winter because you're playing hockey or fishing or like doing other cool stuff that it's really important to have all these well-rounded kids yeah. and I'm so happy that fishing was introduced to me at a certain point that that's crazy that I would make that statement because for 25 years of my life it would have been hockey, 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 hockey. <laughs> yeah it is it's but it's also making sure that like if you are diehard into one thing right now call it hockey that you love it so much, you know. You have to, because like, we all love fishing enough that we'd probably drop most other things, yeah. you know, for it. So, you know. Well, it's nice to catch up, boys. Yeah. Good Until stuff. Until next time. Yeah. When that's going to be, we'll find out. <laughs>
You'll know before us. Laughing, laughing, only kissing away. Hey, hey. 